This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Theology Corner Podcast Network. And I am still here with Greg the Satanist. Hello, Greg. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, we're doing a two-part series talking about the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple. For people who, who are just now finding us, hello, welcome to Sacred Tension. Also, please go back and listen to part one. Uh, so you'll be caught up and you'll know who Greg is and you'll know what the Satanic Temple is and you'll know about the seventh tenet, which we talked about to kind of frame the other six. It's really, really helpful to understand the other tenets and kind of the spirit of the tenets. And so if you haven't already, go back and listen to that episode. So let's move on to the first tenet, and I will go ahead and read that. The first tenet of the Satanic Temple is, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. It's really hard to go wrong with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but but you'll, you'll notice that there are that, you know, it, even with something as seemingly uncontroversial as that, there are guardrails on it, right? We have the phrase within reason in there. One of the things that anyone who is starting off kind of reading about Satanism or for the first time learning about Satanism, one of the things that they come across pretty quickly is the fact that Satanic Temple isn't necessarily identical to some of the other satanic organizations that are out there. There is one of the things that actually, I suppose, could be described as a distinguishing trait of uh, Satanists who align themselves with the satanic temple's way of understanding Satanism versus some of the others that are out there is that we don't have a lot of focus on like me first selfishness and and all of that. I am the kingdom of my domain. Now, don't get me wrong. We still are very much all about the empowering aspect of uh, embracing the symbolic character of Satan. The, because that that's an important part of it and and the power of the individual right i mean it it's right. it's this celebration of individualism but maybe where it's different is is that it isn't as ein randian right right and so that's that's part of the thing is uh the satanic temple really has differentiated itself by pointing out that there isn't anything inconsistent with the idea of being an individualist, but having compassion and saying there is value in things like community and in things like empathy. And, you know, this is, this is you know, for anyone who wants to really geek out on the history of Satanism, I don't know how many of your listeners out there are like that, but just in case, uh, you know, it's... Some the, of them are terrifyingly geeky. Ha! Awesome. So for those of you, you know, you'll find if you look into the history of like Anton LaVey back in the 60s uh, and the writing of the Satanic Bible and really drawing, having a perspective that drew a lot on this kind of rugged individualism and a certain interpretation of like, you know, uh, survival of the fittest evolutionary theory where, you know, you just have to be selfish and try to win and try to, you know, make good for yourself. And that was the way 
that the idea of the individualist and the stark materialist, the idea of someone whose morality was grounded in science, and LeVay in the 60s drew upon a particular interpretation of evolutionary theory and survival of the fittest in coming to this conclusion that if you are a scientist and a materialist, then your morality should be based on this idea of, you know, rational self-interest, you know, the world is a competitive place. Now, what LeVay was limited by is the fact that, you know, now in the, in the decades since the Church of Satan was formed, you know, science has progressed a little bit. You know, some of the some of the people who are followers, hardcore followers of a don't aren't necessarily um, into acknowledging that. But evolutionary theory, once you start doing research in evolutionary theory, you find that empathy is something that has actually evolved because we are a social species. Exactly. And if you want to be scientific about your morality, you can't just look at some very primitive reading of Darwinism and you know, um, and survival of the fittest, rawr, you know, you have to take into account that evolutionary theory has actually demonstrated that empathy, the tendency to have empathy within your social group is a survival positive trait and is something that is innate. Evolution has favored altruism for some reason. Absolutely, and there's an entire you know, branch of theory that you can read about, you know, explanations for why that is. And so the Satanic Temple really kind of wanted to dust off some of these old assumptions and t look with a fresh eye at the question of, all right, knowing what we know now, but still embracing the original sort of idea of, hey, we want to be grounded in the best scientific understanding of the world. We want our morality to strive from the assumption that we are, you know, not spirit and animal, but simply animal. But what does that mean? What does that mean from a moral standpoint? And we came to the conclusion that it is not inconsistent to embrace compassion and empathy. And above and beyond that, there's even place in the narrative, if you really like the symbolism of Satanism, you know, there's place in the narrative for that as well. After all, Satan didn't just sort of say, screw all y'all, I'm taking my toys and going home. He went to all the angels and said, hey, for all of you that want to follow me, why don't you fight with me against the tyranny of Yahweh, right? According to the yes. mythology. And so, and, and Satan didn't, wasn't content to just have knowledge for himself. He saw Adam and Eve trapped and, and, and limited in the Garden of Eden. And his heart went out to them and said, I want to share my knowledge with them. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to look out only for myself. I'm going to want to share this gift of knowledge with those around me. Exactly. So you can even embrace the mythology in a certain way that, that, that incorporates empathy and compassion. And so that is, yeah, so that's, that's the first tenet really is already striking out ground uh, to re-envision how we look at the notion of Satanism and the interpretation of the mythology of Satanism in light of what science knows now. Absolutely. And so moving on to the second tenet, uh, and this is one of my favorites. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Okay, so so this tenet is is really 
kind of hearkening back to that individualism, which was the foundation of Satanism, right? And I, you know, I don't know how much we're going to get into kind of the legal battles that the Satanic Temple is fighting right now on behalf of women and minorities. We that that will probably be a whole other episode that I want to do. But this also is the tenet that the Satanic Temple is using in court in their abortion fights, in their battles to keep teachers from physically abusing students because the Satanists say that that is violating the individual autonomy of these students' bodies. And so talk about this some. Talk about what this tenet means to you. Yeah, this tenet is important uh, to me because it's one of those things that it is the starting point for a lot of the things that we think are worth fighting for and that we think are kind of the moral conclusions, but can all be drawn back to a simpler sort of moral axiom, a starting point for moral reasoning of bodily autonomy, because it has implications then, you know, like you already said, for healthcare, for reproductive rights, for, you know, uh, bodily autonomy when it comes to being subject to violence from others. And all of these things in a way can, that we know that we value in our society as kind of individual separate matters can be drawn back to the more fundamental moral axiom of bodily autonomy, which is, you know, it does follow naturally from the idea of individualism, but I think it's also stronger than that. It's one of the reasons it's in detenance is because it seems to be a foundational assumption that guides a lot of our reasoning. It is the one that gets cited the most in some of our legal battles because we're a religious organization, but we are a politically active and politically aware religious organization. But when it comes to deeply held beliefs, this is one of the ones that comes up again and again, because in those legal battles, we're constantly finding ourselves against, not even just necessarily in the wording of the law or whatever, but there's that mindset that, you know, religious deeply held beliefs are, are privileged, right? That they have some sort of status above and beyond maybe other sort of feelings you have or other beliefs that you have in the law. And there are a lot of people out there who just want to assume that if you don't believe in God, then you have no deeply held beliefs. You have no beliefs that, you know, raise that standard. And that just is, is ridiculous and it's not true. And if there's anything that is the big picture message of the legal battles that we get into, it's really driving home that larger cultural message that, you know, our deeply held beliefs as atheists are absolutely no less powerful, no less foundational to our entire being and the way that we view the universe and our feelings about what is right and what is wrong, then your deeply held beliefs that might be linked to because some sort of spirit, invisible being said so. You know, the fact that we don't believe in that layer of supernaturalism doesn't make them any less deeply held beliefs. And so when we talk about the deep passion that a lot of our members have for things like freedom of choice and women's reproductive rights, it's because those are our deeply held beliefs. They are religious beliefs 
even though they're not coming from some spirit or some god or some creator or some angel. You know, I'm so glad that you bring that up because that is a point that I think does not occur to people very often is how the United States really does favor religious belief. And for most people, that means believing in some form of supernaturalism. And that is because of how our government is set up and our nation is set up that does tend to have greater privileges than other deeply held beliefs. You know, Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, makes the point that, say, a Quaker gets to not be drafted in the 70s, in the, in the 60s, I mean, for religious conviction, but a pacifist philosopher who happens to be an atheist, could write the most learned, powerful dissertation on why he should not go to war, and yet he would still be drafted. And that is a problem. And so with the Satanic Temple, I guess, it, one of the things that they're doing is trying to level that playing field and saying, no, these personal convictions that we have, these are in a way religious in that they are as deeply held as any conviction uh, held by a religious person who believes in a god. Do you have any more thoughts on that one or shall we move on to the third? I'm good with that one. Tenet the third. This is another one of my favorites. This also, I think, is one of the more controversial ones. This is one of the tenets that I think generates a lot of discussion. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego your own. And this is, I think particularly interesting right now because we're in a culture embattled over the concept of free speech and what that means. And this kind of opens the ground to talk about that. But I think at the core of the, I will go ahead and say what this means to me. At the core of this, this means not controlling other people. And it means, and I think I look at this as a queer person because I, I look at this tenet from the perspective of someone who's queer because the moment that I set the precedent for shutting someone down or going into their space and shutting them down, well, that's setting the precedent for someone to do the exact same thing to me. And guess what? That's what people have done again and again and again to queer people over and over and over again through history. That doesn't mean I'm going to invite Richard Spencer onto my podcast. That's not what I'm saying. But it means that I can't go onto the Daily Stormer and try to shut down that website. It means I can't go onto Breitbart and go onto their space and shut it down, in other words. And because, guess what? That is setting the precedent for me as a queer person to be violated in a very fundamental sense. And and so that is how I read this. I I see this from the perspective of a minority, uh from a member of of a minority group who through history this has been done to us. And so kind of with that said, I'm I'm really curious to hear your perspective on this tenet. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one. It's a very, very nuanced one. And I'll, I'll say from the get-go that it is one where there are probably as many slightly nuanced different interpretations of this tenet as there are members of the Satanic Temple, right? Which is part of the value, which is part of the awesome thing about the Satanic <laughs> Temple, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and people, I mean, it's at the... At the highest level, 
my interpretation of this tenant, the way that I try to, yeah, let me start with that. I'm not going to speak with what it was intended to do. I'm not going to speak to what other people think. I'm going to speak to how I try to live this tenant, because that's really what the tenants are for Satanists who align themselves with this damn temple, is there are guidelines for how we want to be inspired and live our lives. So for me, this tenet means that I know that being offended isn't an argument. And it's not an argument for other people, but it also means it's not an argument for me. It means that I, if I am offended by something, then it is my duty to dig a little deeper and not object to the thing that I'm offended by because it offended me but to dig a little deeper into what it is that really bothers me about what's said, what the implications are. Exactly. And dig into what it is about that that is the source of the problem and then criticize it for that. For that. You know, if, yes. if, if someone says something about like, uh, I'm going to pick something from the news. If somebody says that, you know, those African-American kids that got shot by those cops must have been up to something, you know. It's like that's something that, yeah, it's offensive, but if I say that you shouldn't say that because it offends me, boy, is that wrong. Boy, is that making it about me. It's not about me. Like, yes. the objection isn't about my feelings. My feelings are not the source of the problem. The source of the problem is that when people put that information and that idea out into the atmosphere, which completely, it creates a narrative where an entire class of people's uh, side of the story is being negated, regardless of the evidence and before anything else is heard. It's putting out a narrative that reinforces stereotypes about an entire community based only on the color of their skin. Those yes. are the problems. And, it, and moreover, it breeds the greater potential for future violence because it excuses violence on one side and it makes the other side immediately suspect any times violence is done to them. And that should be why it's criticized. The fact that it made me feel upset is not what the source of the criticism really should be. It That needs to be the starting point, not the ending point. It needs to, you know, to follow outrage with curiosity, in other words. That outrage should not be the final destination, but that that outrage that we feel, that is the kindling. That is the starting point. And then we follow that up with asking incisive questions exactly that is what leads to justice and you know one thing that does frustrate me and i'm just going to go ahead and put this out here i'm not just a liberal i am a far left pinky commie queer okay i don't think that i would even qualify as a liberal i i think i'm i'm more progressive i i think i'm more left than that at this point you know that hasn't always been true i used to be kind of a libertarian douchebag in college but that's another story now i've gone way left and i'm aligned with leftist goals in, in just about every way but what does often frustrate me is how the argument is very often, how dare you? And that's it. And how dare you is not enough. 
And so basically, I see another part of this tenet for me personally is the invitation to go a bit deeper than how dare you. Because I, I sometimes feel like we on the left, uh, we, we respond with nothing more than outrage because we've actually gotten out of practice of defending it. And, and because we've gotten out of practice of defending it, then we resort. And it's a kind of laziness. And it's a kind of laziness, exactly. And it's an invitation to ask those questions that will lead to greater knowledge, which will lead to greater wisdom. And that is the path forward. Right. Um, now, now I will say, I will say that, you know, the, the other, the, the reason that this is an incredibly nuanced and sort of complicated tenet is that we all know that people out there who leverage the notion of freedom to offend as an excuse to be deliberately antagonistic and as an excuse to try to shut down people or ideas they don't like by being abusive towards those people or ideas and using that as a technique for silencing others and so basically using offense as a deliberate mechanism for engineering a certain kind of outcome and that is you know it's it's funny because that is so antithetical to the way the the satanic temple sees offense even at the same time as we will go and we will have our activism things where we are you know very much maybe mocking certain christian traditions bdsm or be... babies come to mind absolutely <laughs> that and... was actually by the way side side uh tangent that was my my uh partner John was the one who who introduced me to the Satanic Temple and I come home from work one day and he's watching something on his laptop and he was like oh my god baby you've got to look at this and I look at the screen and it's the and it's the protest in Detroit with the BDSM babies flagellating themselves in the street at a at a pro life rally and I was like I don't know what this is but it's awesome <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> and so we deliberately will uh, do things in order to get a message, but it's always with a message. It's never with the objective of bullying someone into silence. It's never with the objective of purely spurring hate towards any sort of group. Uh, Lucian Greaves, one of the co-founders of the Satanic Temple, said in an interview recently, never let your activism be artless. And so the idea of being able to selectively, you know, invoke things that do offend, but for with a greater message, with a greater purpose, and with a specific goal, activist goal in mind, perhaps. Um, and that's different from just being like, I'm going to draw a cartoon of Muhammad because I know it pisses people off or whatever. You know, this is a totally it, different type of offense. And it doesn't mean being Milo. You know, it doesn't or, or Mike Cernovich, you know, it doesn't mean being a bully for the sake of being a bully. And it also I also have to be really careful about this because it also for me personally, it also doesn't mean that we don't push back. We can absolutely push back against bullying against speech that we deem offensive or wrong or immoral. That's part of the deal. That is part of the deal that we can push back against what we deem to be immoral. One of the sort of ways that this that this tenet gets complicated is, you know, the 
reflex that some people have to, and this is a reflex that may be common among Satanists partially because we do we do love the underdog story, and so when we sense that there is there is some person or group kind of being receiving a lot of criticism. Like we sort of have that instinct, just like, well, wait a minute, you know, should we be taking the other view? And um, and sometimes it happens that as a result, there are people who will go out of their way to say, well, every time someone, I don't know, every time some alt-right prick says something nasty and there's always seen as like, well, you know, they're being offensive, but we believe being offensive is okay, right? Why shouldn't we defend their right to say it and everything? And and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I suppose, but is anyone really, I mean, it's like, I don't really see them having a problem. No one's actually shutting them up. There they are saying it. So I don't really feel like I need to spend my effort, like to defend them against what? Defend them against people yelling at them and calling them a prick? No, I don't really feel like I need to defend them against that. That's the consequences of their actions. Exactly. So. You know, here's, here's <laughs> the thing. Here's my take on that. To me, the freedom of speech is such a basic, fundamental fucking obvious thing that to me the idea of defending someone because they said something offensive is absurd it means okay we both have freedom of speech that means that we get to fucking fight now i'm not going to waste any time defending your right to say anything i'm going to align myself or not align myself with someone based on their integrity i'm just going on a tangent here i'm blowing off steam i may or may not edit this out i'm so fucking tired of seeing people on the internet align themselves with trolls who have zero integrity, who are scumbags of human beings, who are moral and intellectual insects simply because they say something provocative and they say, oh, they're being attacked by the mean leftists. Therefore, I'm going to stand next to them and defend them. And I'm like, no, I'm going to only align myself with someone who I deem to have integrity. And I see freedom of speech as such a fucking obvious thing that this means I don't have to defend it and I don't have to defend you. This means that we get to fight. I agree with that completely. Yeah, that's what that means. Anyway, oh, I'm getting heated up about this. We need to move on. Okay. All right, next one, next tenet. <laughs> next tenet. <laughs> um, this, has been really, this has been really helpful for me in my own a religious journey. Beliefs should conform to our best scientific understanding of the world. We should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit our beliefs. I absolutely love this one. What does that mean to you? To me, it's one of the most obvious ones, but that has to do with the way I was raised as well. So I was, I was raised an atheist. My dad is a scientist. My mom's a painter. They're both retired now, but I sort of got that a really interesting intersection. My dad is the stereotypical atheist scientist, you know, if there isn't enough evidence for the hypothesis, you shouldn't believe the hypothesis type of guy. And my mom is a Unitarian artist. She's the like, well, I think there's probably something out there, but I don't know what it is, and I don't really believe in an afterlife, but, you know, uh, but like the Bible <laughs> has some good ideas in it. You know, she's like that kind of mix and match your own, you know, beliefs. And so I was raised very much with the evidence-based, sort of science-based way of approaching thinking, you know. And for me, as a result, I have a fairly, I guess, 
even though to me it's an innocuous and not an extreme view at all, would in the greater scheme of American culture would probably be called a fairly hardline, non-supernaturalist, materialist view of the world. I'm like, you know, the world is filled with wonder and amazing things, but it's because of like, you know, that really cool complexity you get when you have the mathematical impact of the emergent properties of the large number of interacting particles. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yes. Um, and so, like, I absolutely have wonder with the world, and I absolutely think that, uh, you know, I am in awe of, you know, the the fantastic whole that is the universe, but that doesn't make me think that there's, like, any sort of spirit-y stuff out there holding it together. I'm very firmly a believer in the idea that, you know, all meaning is something that we as biological organisms create for ourselves. That's part of what consciousness is. And so it's a very, very materialist, not in the sense of like material girl, but in the sense of like, you know, um, <laughs> physical universe only um, view of the universe. Now, I will say, I do want to make a point, though, of saying that that's my Satanism. It's my philosophy. And, you know, there's, I don't want to say that you know, to be a Satanist, you have to be as sort of aligned with, I mean, I know plenty of people who are like, who take that, you know, well, science can't explain everything. And so maybe there's something out there. And to me, from a scientific mode of thinking, my, my personal gut reaction is what a stupid way of reasoning. But, but I acknowledge that there's a completely valid way of interpreting you know, <laughs> The tenet, if you want to, so I'm not going to decry or insist that people do otherwise. There's um, another document of the Satanic Temple, and let me find it quickly, just because I find it dovetails very nicely with this tenet. And it's a line from the invocation, and it says, let me find it. Uh, let us reason our solutions with agnosticism in all things, holding fast only to that which is demonstrably true. And I find that a, a very kind of good crystallization, a very good kind of further expression of what this tenet is about for me. I find peace in the idea of, well, if it isn't falsifiable, then I'm not going to say for sure, <laughs> you know? And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that this was a really helpful tenet for me in understanding my own faith. And this is something that I've talked about maybe so much on the show that listeners are probably getting really tired of it. But this idea that Carrie Poppy, who's another podcaster, she talked about in a TED Talk, the, this idea of inner truth versus outer truth. And that when it comes to religion, we're often very confused about the boundaries between inner truth and outer truth. And we're very often not very clear about it or don't really understand it, or we demand that other people hold their inner truth to outer truth claims or vice versa. And so this idea that maybe for some Christians, there, there are Christians who say, I don't care whether or not Christ actually raised from the dead, that metaphor is so powerful and meaningful to me, and I don't want to give it up. Well, then Carrie Poppy says, well, then you have just transferred that from outer truth to inner truth. You have transferred that from science to art. Whereas whether God, whether Jesus was raised from the dead physically, okay, well, now you've suddenly entered the realm of science. You have entered the realm of did it happen or did it not? And I find this 
this line between inner truth and outer truth incredibly helpful for me. And so when it comes to outer truth claims, when, when it comes to claims about the, the world around me, I find this tenet incredibly helpful to temper my understanding of all things with agnosticism and to say I might be wrong. And to me also, this is the ultimate act of worship because it's the admitting that whoever or whatever God is it is the acceptance that I am not that. And so therefore, agnosticism or doubt, the ability to say, I have limitations and I don't know, or I can't go beyond what is scientifically falsifiable. I'm not going to go beyond the magisterium of science. That to me is a statement of profound humility. It's a statement of limitations and honesty. And that to me is an act of worship. And so this this tenet really, really speaks to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that I uh, like about the overt individualism of Satanism is that it, is that at least at least among the Satanists I hang out with, uh, there tends to be an acceptance of the fact that not everybody's metaphysics is going to be the same, right? Not everybody's, not everybody's going to look at things the same way. And you know, you and I could probably get into a fascinating conversation at some other point in time about, um, you know, whether because as I'll tell you, I was listening to you, and I think that's fantastic. But I was also thinking to myself, I'm not really sure that an outer reality exists and that's my person this isn't say this isn't like the tennis this is not me and um <laughs> and uh that would be and, fascinating and, let's talk about it sometime and you can have a whole conversation about whether uh there really is a distinction between you know whether whether the boundary between narrative truth and historical truth to actually abduct a term from psychoanalysis from the 80s whether the boundary between those really is as hard and fast as some people would make them want to think and i've gotten into really deep and involved conversations with anthropologists back when i was going through my really sort of hard atheist phase where they were like you know someone's reality of their experience is based on their own narratives and if their narratives tell them that they are possessed by a demon and that is what they're physically experiencing. How can you say that's less real just because you with your narrative say that it is some sort of hysteria caused by hyperstimulation of this, that and the other, right? It's fascinating. And, uh, and, and there's, so there are arguments to be had about that. And I actually would go in the other direction and say that, um, you know, you said that whatever God is, I am not that. I would say, well, I am, I am. Because I am the one, I am the only thing in the world of my experience that creates meaning, that creates the universe around me. And that through the act of my living self as a sensory organism, I construct a perception and a story of the world around me. Mm. And if you look at how perceptual senses work it's all narrative your your you know edges are a story that your eyes tell your brain and 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 objects are a story that your the, the further processing is telling you based on the edges and it's all stories when it comes right down to it we are uh, simulation making machines in other we words are. yeah we are absolutely and another way of saying that is we are storytelling machines it's all narratives when it comes or right down to or we are we are God's creating worlds and those that world is what we experience 
And that is what I mean when I say that I am God. That right? makes complete sense to me. And that is really, really fascinating. But 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 again, no, I know I want to emphasize though that that's me. That's not the tenet right there. Like that's my interpretation. And one of the things I like I started to say a moment ago, one of the things I like is that in the end, you know, things are open enough to interpretation that you can have people with a wide variety of different views on ontology and metaphysics all finding inspiration in the same set of symbols and finding inspiration in the seven tenets and calling themselves Satanists who are aligned with TST, with the Satanic Temple. And it doesn't, it's because at the end of the day, you know, and this is true not just of Satanism, but of other religions too, for at least some of the people who are on the more activist or progressive ends of religion. At the end of the day, what matters isn't necessarily your beliefs. I mean, it's nice, it's fun to talk about, you know, what is the nature of God or what is the nature of the universe, but what we've really got to figure out is, how am I going to treat my neighbor? Exactly. That's what matters at the end of the day. As as one guest on this show, David Dark, would say, what is your witness? And the witness is what you believe and how you act and the effects of your life on the world. And that is your witness and that is your religion. Absolutely. And so that's one of the reasons that the seven tenets are um, are something that bring us together. And, you know, we've had discussions you know, when I've chatted with some of the co-founders or other members of the National Council and, and you know, we get into discussions about, like, you know, people writing to us and saying, hey, you know, I, I saw the tenet about, you know, scientific beliefs and, and, you know, I just want you to know that, like, I, because of my personal experiences, I believe that crystals have healing energy and I'm wondering, will you accept me? Right. <laughs> you get the... Get right. Those letters, by the way. Totally oh, oh, letters. I can. Oh, I can imagine. I, yeah. I totally imagine. And what's, what's your response to that? Well, when we were discussing it, you know, and and it was, and it was actually Lucian, one of the co-founders, who who made the same point, the similar to what I just made a moment ago about, you know, what matters is how we behave in the world and how we treat others. And he said, you know, if they find that their, you know, morals are aligned with the seven tenets and they aren't trying to impose their belief in healing crystals on other people, then why should I care what they believe about crystals? Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to, for us, the final tenet, the, the sixth tenet. People are fallible. If we make a mistake, we should do our best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused. That's awesome. <laughs> it also reminds me of one of the, it, it reminds me of one of this, the 12 steps. And I can't remember which step it is, but the, I think it's the fifth step. The fourth is to make a fearless moral inventory. And then I think the fifth is to, it's one of, it's the fifth or the sixth, uh, which is to make amends. Unless it does harm, you know, the the uh, addendum that I was given by my sponsor, which is unless it does harm to you or to the person you are making amends to. But the the act of being honest about our humanity and that we're fallible and to uh, make amends. And I think that this is one of those universal things in a lot of healthy religion. You know, there's a difference between healthy and unhealthy religion. This is one of those things that's, I think, universal to healthy religion. And I just think it's it's fabulous. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I do want to 
draw attention to uh, the fact that this tenet not only is kind of, you know, supremely practical in the sense that it helps people to interact and, you know, not be douchebags and not go on crusades against people who do bad things or whatever. But in addition to that kind of socially practical aspect of this tenet, I feel, in my opinion, it also very much springs from the underlying you know, back to metaphysics again, um, sort of sort of view of the universe that's at the root of the satanic uh, aesthetic and the, the satanic metaphor. And what I mean by that is that if you read some of the, especially some of the older historical stuff of modern Satanism, the satanic Bible from the 60s and stuff, you will come across references to Satanism being a carnal religion. And of course, a lot of people love to interpret that as meaning that we love deviant sex. And, you know... Which some is, of us do. Yes. We, and, and I was just going to say, and that may be true. <laughs> but if you look in the dictionary at what the word carnal means, it simply means of the body. And in a deeper philosophical sense, being a carnal religion is like pointing out that it is a materialist religion. Again, in the philosopher's sense of the term materialist, that we, the universe is one of material stuff, not spirit stuff. And we are a carnal religion in the sense that we are not body plus soul. We are just body. And... Everything else, I wouldn't say flows from that, but about satanic philosophy is consistent with that because when you know that we are a collection of chemicals that figured out how to figure out stuff, it's uh, in some ways, I mean, it's, it's awe-inspiring and it is amazing, but what it means is there's no appeal to that shimmering, platonic, out there, the way stuff should be, right? There's no ideal goal, there's, no, there's nothing to strive for beyond what we decide to strive for ourselves, and therefore, you know, it is, we are, of course, we're inherently flawed. We're as flawed as any physical object in the universe is, in the same way that, you know, there are no, you learn in geometry, there are, in the real world, there are no perfect triangles or perfect circles, just like there's no perfect anything. And so this tenet really is a reflection of, to me, in a very deep way, a rejection of the entire spiritual realm of supposed perfection that the theistic religions would say the physical material universe is just some sort of like flawed reflection of it's like, no, no, this is not a flawed reflection of anything. This is it. And it's fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. So here's what we're going to do. Dear listeners, hopefully the satanic thing is making a bit more sense to you now. Maybe you even find that you're agreeing with these tenets and maybe you're a satanist. But <laughs> if that's the case, I'm going to put all of I'm going to put Greg's website. I'm going to put the website of the Satanic Temple in the show notes. So if you want to learn more, you can find links in the show notes. If you want to support the Satanic Temple, please go buy some of their awesome merch. They have fantastic T-shirts and mugs, which you can freak your friends out with. And it's really awesome. So here's what we're going to do. If you have 
more questions about Satanism and Greg's experience of Satanism, please send us a question on Twitter. Tweet to me or Greg. Greg, what's your, do you have Twitter? Absolutely. And it's just Greg Stevens. All right. So tweet to me at uh, Stephen B. Long or tweet at Greg at Greg Stevens. Please send us your questions and we're going to do a separate show entirely dedicated to answering your questions. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. The music is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. If you want more shows like this one, please go to theologycorner.net. Also, you can find me at sbradfordlong.com, where you can read my dozens of articles about faith and doubt and sexuality and the archives of this show, all for free. And also one last request before we wrap up here. If you enjoy this show, if you look forward to it every week, I'm getting a lot of new listeners every week. Uh, The views are going up, which is great. I'm so glad to have you along for the ride. And if you enjoy it, please take the time to write a five-star review. That will mean so much to me. All right, we'll see you next week.